its own. Yeah. <laughs> Great job, Soundtech. We're going to put that on your resume. Uh, we started last week studying the book of 1 Peter. And so if you'd join me in 1 Peter, that would be great. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. And as I told you last week, Peter was writing to the persecuted church. This was uh, probably around 66, 67, 68 A.D. Nero was persecuting Christians, making human torches out of them to light the pathways into town. Uh, cruel, evil man. And Peter was writing to uh, the Christians that lived in the area there saying, I just want to encourage you, hang in there. And he's given us some great words here. It's interesting that he starts off the last week's lesson. He started off by making sure they understood what salvation was. And I think that's important for Christians anywhere at any time, but particularly the persecuted church. Why did you sign up for Jesus to begin with? You know, we, we go through things in life. We, we sign up to play Little League. And then about the third game in, we wonder why we sign up, right? We sign up to play soccer and wonder why we signed up. We, we sign up for marriage. And sometimes we wonder why do we do that? You know, we're, we're constantly measuring things. Why do I do this? Why do I do that? And there's nothing that makes you question whether or not you signed up for Jesus for the right reason than persecution. And when we're persecuted uh, on any level, it makes us question why did we sign up, but particularly when... There's a sword at your throat saying, choose Jesus or choose Nero. Then you, then you really have a come to Jesus moment. Did I really sign up for Jesus or was I just going through the motions? I think a lot of Christians, excuse me, a lot of church members just go through the motions. They're not really Christians. They, they come, they join, they get involved, they do, but they've never really signed up for Jesus. And when the heat really gets on, they bail. Now, we in America don't really understand persecution of Christians, as I told you last week, some 11 Christians a day around the world are killed for their faith. That's 11 Christians a year. Some 200 million are exposed to extreme persecution around the world because they name the name of Christ. Some countries over uh, across the pond are killing Christians at alarming rates just because they're Christians. They want to get rid of all Christians in their country. Here, we talk about sharing our testimony, and we're afraid to share our testimony. When in America, if you share your testimony, chances are nobody's going to pull a gun or a sword uh, or, or hit you in the face because you're sharing Jesus. It's just probably not going to happen here with a very rare occasion. And yet we're afraid to share our testimony. You know, we spent three or four weeks talking about sharing our testimony. How many of us did it? You know, last week I gave you a great, a great saying to tell people. It's, it's verse... Uh, two right there it says grace and peace be yours in abundance and i challenge you to go share that with somebody this week at the store at work wherever you were anybody have a chance to share that one two of us okay great great job go team right i was fascinated i shared that scripture with a, a woman who probably was about my age maybe a little younger and she just lit up she understood it i shared it with someone that was about 20 and they just looked at me like i'd quoted something they never heard of before <laughs> Like I quoted Greek to him. It's interesting the difference between the two ages who understood that scripture. Instead of saying, have a nice day, say grace and peace be yours in abundance. One woman I was talking to this week was telling me, you know, I walk up and they start telling me their story. She said, I really had a bad week last week. 
and she passed out twice and went to the hospital and took an ambulance ride. And she told me all it cost and what they did to her and everything. And I just looked at her when she finally, finally finished telling me her story. And I said, peace and grace be yours in abundance. She said, that's exactly what I needed today. And it just calmed her spirit right down. It's amazing, the word of God, how powerful it is. Amen. And yet, and yet we leave it at home. We don't hide it in our heart that we might not sin, but we don't hide it in our heart that we might share it with someone else who needs to hear it. Right? That woman needed to hear it that morning. So Peter's saying, look, in the midst of persecution, know that you're saved. But secondly, we're going to get to something really important here about the Word of God. Chapter 1, verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation that he just talked about, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Peter's saying, the people that came before you, that preached Jesus Christ to you, believed in the Word of God. They believed in the Word of God. They believed in the Word of God. And look what it says. It says, they searched intently. Now, this is important. I know I say a lot about studying the Bible, but this is really important. Peter's saying, if you want to succeed, if you want to advance, if you want to continue in your faith in the midst of persecution, you need to be like the prophets of old who searched intently. When's the last time you searched intently anything about the Scripture? When's the last time you opened your Bible and had a concordance beside you or on the screen, and you said, I'm going to search the word hope or love or grace. And I'm just going to look at every verse in the Bible that talks about this, or maybe 10 verses that talk about it. When was the last time you got so caught, so intent? The prophets of old were searching the Old Testament. They didn't even have the New Testament. We didn't have the New Testament for years. They were searching the Old Testament intently to find what it was about the coming Messiah. Now watch this. It says they search with the greatest care. You ever thought about searching the Bible with the greatest care? You know, we think about taking care of our dog with the greatest care or, or our cat, right? We think about taking, if you're 16 years old and you got your first car, you're thinking about taking care of your car with the greatest care, right? Isn't that right, Taylor? <laughs> Taylor washes her car every week and vacuums it every week. And then when you turn... <laughs> She says, no, she don't. And then when you turn 17, you never wash it again, right? You get your first car, man, you wash it, you wax it, you polish it, you vacuum it. 17, I don't care about this car anymore. It's too much work, right? We use the greatest of care of a lot of things in our life, right? If you're going to go to the football game, you take the greatest of care to get there early, right? So you can tailgate, get some ribs, you know, maybe some coleslaw, maybe some potato salad. Let's go eat. Amen. All in favor? Bye. Posed by like science, okay. They search with the greatest care. When's the last time you sat with the word and treated it with the greatest care like you've treated other things with the greatest care? When was the last time? Peter's saying, if you want to get through this persecution in life, then you need to search the scripture. But look at this. This is fascinating. Trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ, that's only used a couple of times in the Bible, the Spirit of Christ. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a gift from Jesus. It's a gift from the Father, so the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was pointing 
when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. They were reading scriptures, and the Holy Spirit came along beside them and said, I want to point something out to you. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not, but as a preacher, I experience it all the time. I will even experience it while I'm preaching. And when I say something good that you say amen to, that was nothing I thought of. That was something the Spirit probably just gave me and dropped into me right then. When you start reading the Scripture, the Spirit of Jesus will point you to Himself. You got something to share over there? That looked really good. What was that? Now, breakfast? Okay. <laughs> Teenagers, they're going to eat breakfast whenever they can, three times a morning. You go, girl. That's awesome. I wish I could eat breakfast right now, but I got to preach, so. The Spirit of Jesus was pointing them while they were reading the Scripture. If you want to experience the presence of God in your life, read the Scripture. Mm -hmm. If you want to experience His fullness in your life, just start reading the Scripture. Search with greatest care on some thought that you have. And the thought probably was given to you by the Holy Spirit. You want to know the truth about it? You sit there and you wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden you have a thought in your head, and you think, oh, I think I'm going to look in the Scripture and see what that says. That's the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit never stops working in your life. Even when you're asleep, He's working in your life. You have a dream. Some of them come from the Holy Spirit. Some of them come from bad potato soup, okay? <laughs> or spam, if you had spam the night before. We talked about spam earlier, right? Perfect food. Do you know that spam was invented by the military? Look it up sometime. It was invented by the military. They needed something that had high protein and high fat content that could last for years in a can. And spam can last 20, 30 years in a can. It's, it's still somewhere around from World War I when they invented it, right? They feed it to the enemy and they give up. Spam attack. You know, there's nothing better than fried spam, stuck in bread with mayonnaise and mustard in between. Scrambled egg and cheese on top of that bad boy. That's what I'm. Come on, come on. Work with me. Give me some knuckle on that one. That's a good sandwich right there. <laughs> it tastes better butter. <laughs> Spam was cheap. Spam. Like, uh, as older people, that was something that we ate that was kind of like eating like a king back in the day. I know. Now, when you go to buy a can of Spam, it's like six bucks. I know. What's that? Right, right. What happened? I know. What happened, D? Right? Come on. Somebody. <laughs> that's right. Somebody must love it. Well, they're jacking it up because the government pays for it now. For the soldiers, see, that's what it is. And then we pay for the. That's a good point, though. Wow. We digressed, didn't we? That's my fault. That's my fault. The Spirit of Christ will point you as you study the Scripture. That's beautiful. That means we have a living, active Holy Spirit. It also means we have a living, acting Word of God. Right? And what does it say about itself? It's living, active, and what? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Cutting asunder soul and spirit. In other words, dividing the spirit man from the soulish man and saying this is the spirit life, this is the soulish life. That's the word of God. It was revealed to them. Look at that. That's beautiful. That's a sermon in itself. It was revealed to them. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal things to you. 
But you can't do it on your terms. You have to do it on the Holy Spirit's terms. And when you meet him in the word of God or in praise or prayer or your worship time, he reveals things to you. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that had not been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You see that? It says the Holy Spirit revealed to them not for themselves but for somebody else. Oh, wow. You're sitting there studying the scripture and you think you're getting filled and fed and you're enjoying it, and you're thinking, this is all for me. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, I got this for you, but I, I've got this for somebody else. Yeah, I'm going to fill you up with this, but then you're going to pour this out on someone else. Isn't that beautiful? What does it say in uh, Corinthians? He gives seed to the sower, right? And if you give your seed away, he fills it up with even more, more, more seed, right? Isn't that what he says? He gives us everything we need to pour out in somebody else's life. It pours into ours, but it just overflows to someone else. And then look at this verse. It says, and even angels long to look into these things. Angels don't understand salvation like we understand salvation. What they saw from their vantage point was the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, sitting on the throne with the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, this plan was put in place, and Jesus left heaven. He went down to earth and was born, right? And lived a life for 30 years, kind of discreet, off the radar, off the map, off the grid, right? And then for three years, he went and preached about salvation. And then they killed him, put him on a cross, and he rose again. That's what the angel saw. And they were scratching their head like, why did the <coughs> creator of all the universe go do that? And I, because angels don't have souls that need to be saved like we have souls that need to be saved. But it says even angels long to look into these things. The angels themselves wanted to read the scripture and say, what is the deal? What is this plan? I don't understand. How did this happen? How did the creator of the universe go and be born and die and come back to life again for people? See, a bunch of them had rebelled. They certainly didn't get the plan. The ones that had stayed didn't get the plan, but they were obedient to God. But they still wanted to look into these things. Hey, if angels want to look into something, that's kind of a sign that it might be important to look into. Right? Wouldn't you think? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. When it comes to persecution, when you're sharing your testimony, when you're being a witness for Christ in the workplace and people are, you know, saying things about you, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. You know, our, our great country, this great country of ours, was founded on the principle of freedom, but inherent in that freedom was that people could control themselves. And when people have chosen not to control themselves, it has caused the state, in our, in our lifetime, the federal government now, to create processes to control people who can't control themselves. And we've become a nanny state, a nanny country, where we pass laws that say you can't drink a 16-ounce Coke, right? Now, you can go buy as many 12-ounce Cokes as you want to, to equal 16, right? Right? You can go do that. 
And then the recent law this week in California that says you, you, can't, you can't buy but one rifle a month. You can't buy but one long gun, a rifle per month in California. Did you know that? Fifteen laws were passed in California this week on gun control alone. Now, what stops somebody from driving across to Nevada and buying 40,000 long rifles and taking them back to California? Is that not the dumbest thing you ever heard of? I mean, really, think about it. We've become a nanny state where we're going to try to control everything in America. This great country was founded on, on freedom and the ability of people to control themselves. Some people can't do that, can they? Right. And so we have to have laws. We have to have laws. We have to have people enforce those laws. Then we have to have people enforce the people who enforce the laws. Then we have to have people who oversee the people who oversee the people who enforce the laws. And that's why we've got 600,000 federal workers on the payroll that you're paying. You enjoyed that, didn't you? The Bible says be self-controlled. Christians ought to be the most self-controlled people on the planet. Right? We ought to be the most self-controlled people on the planet. It says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here it is now. Here's the key. Set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That word obedience, a better translation would be genuine believers. As genuine believers, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What does it say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. transformed by going to church. Isn't that what it says? Be transformed by putting something in the offering plate. Be transformed by eating banana pudding. What does it say? Be transformed by renewing your mind. And what does it mean to renew your mind? That's a daily battle. Mm -hmm. That is a daily battle. Some people struggle with it more than others. Some people, you know, look at life and they're optimistic and everything's great. Some people struggle, though, with having a, a happy thought, a positive thought, a God-filled thought, if you will, on a daily basis. It's hard for some people. That's where we as Christians need to come along beside the people that are struggling and help them and encourage them. Write them a letter. Call them up. Take them out to eat. Whatever it is. To say, I want to encourage you today. I appreciate you. And I appreciate what you're doing with your family and what you're doing at work. We need to encourage people need encouragement. Some people are having a, a rough time today. Some people you know are having a rough time today, having a good thought about their life and about the life of, that they're living. Go encourage them. Let them know how much you appreciate them. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That word holy, a better translation for us is be different than the world around you. Be different than the world around you. We often think of holiness as being without sin. Anybody in here lived a sinless life this week? My hand's down. Right? So we've, we've all sinned this week. Okay, so we're all in this thing together. It's not talking about living a sinless life. It's talking about living a different life than the world is living. Be different as I am different. A lot of pastors in my past would get to this scripture and they would say, Be holy, for I'm holy. And they would scream and yell. And 
belt it out. I, I don't think that's, that's not my father in heaven. My father would say, Sue, uh, I'm different from the world. How about you being different from the world? That, that's how our father in heaven would tell us that. Be holy because I'm holy. Be like me because I'm like me. You know, if you take a picture of my father and me and my son and my daughter and you line them all up, guess what? Look we all look alike. All right? it's, it's in the nature. It's in the, it's in the tool gene <coughs> that they all look alike. Even my oldest grandson, people say, looks just like me at times. Our father is saying, look, you're, you're born of my nature now. You're, you're born of my nature. Be different like me. Look like me. You're born of my nature. You know, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel that we get a new heart and a new spirit. And that new heart and new spirit translates into a new way of living and a new life and a new outlook, a new attitude. Matter of fact, in Philippians, Paul says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Wherefore, at a given point in time, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our forefathers, that is, Jewish worship. You weren't redeemed through Jewish worship, the sacrifice of animals. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in this last time for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. So now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another occasionally from your heart. Is that what it says? Love one another when you feel like it from your heart. Is that what it says? Love one another when they love you back first. Is that what it says? What does it say? Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For you see, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and every kind, of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, talking about the word of God, so that by it you may grow into your salvation, and that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, there, there are five things in this scripture passage that are important. One is the grace of God. Second is the holiness of God. The grace of God. The holiness of God. The third thing is the word of God. 
The fourth thing is the judgment of God. And the fifth thing is the gift of God in Jesus Christ. Five really important things in this whole passage that we just read. <clears throat> None of you are going to be persecuted this week with a sword to your throat. But all of you are going to have opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. Perhaps giving them a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Perhaps telling them the plan of salvation. Perhaps quoting that scripture, grace and peace be yours in abundance today. All of you are going to have that opportunity. Every one of you will have that opportunity. Whether it's at school or work or in the store or in the doctor's office. You're all going to have that opportunity, I promise you. If you'll open your eyes, you will have that opportunity. Why? Because God's at work in your life and he's at work in everybody else's life trying to convince them that he loves them. And this is the week for us to give our testimony. This is the week for us to share Jesus. This is the week for us to be Jesus in someone's life today. This is the week. So I encourage you, in the name of Jesus, to be ready for it. To be ready for it. And I would love to hear the report that you have when you come back. A couple of weeks ago, I shared something else you can say when people... For instance, when a woman walks by in a store and she says, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, men walk by and say, excuse me. A woman walks by and says, I'm sorry. It's that whole self-esteem thing that women deal with. And I told you that a great thing that I'm doing is when a woman walks by and says, I'm sorry. I said, oh, no, ma'am, no, you're not sorry. You are amazing. And it changes their life. It just changes their, their face. And just, wow. One of our teenagers that day came and told me they had been in a store, and somebody walked by and said, I'm sorry. And she looked at and said, no, you're not. You're amazing. A teenager did that. A teenager did that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So if teenagers can do it, then surely us old folks can. Right? Us old folks can. I don't know about you, but you get to a certain age, you just don't care what people think. You also don't care for drama. You notice that? <laughs> Sometimes those two things collide. Just don't care what people think this week about you, uh, about you sharing Jesus. Just share Jesus. Just share Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this week ahead of us. You're going to put someone in our path, every one of us, children, teenager, adult. You're going to put someone in our path this week that needs to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Help us be faithful. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be bold and courageous. Help us to be filled with the Spirit of Christ who's already gone in front of us, who's already gone ahead of us and prepared the soil, who's prepared the soil of the heart of these people for us to plant the seed. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the great plowman and you are turning soil over every day in people's lives. And that you give us the privilege of taking the precious seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and planting it in that soil. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Give us the courage and boldness to do that this week, wherever we are and wherever we go. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.